Hello, Christoph. What's up? How you been? Man, good. Do what? We missed last week. Yeah, I was on vacation. I went to the beach, if you want to call it that. Sounds nice. I mean, it's it's just hot and well, it's stormy now over here. It was last night, tornadoes and stuff, but it's getting hot again. Oddly enough, your bad weather came directly south to Memphis. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the radar last night because we had storms about like 2 a.m. and it was literally just going south, which I don't know that I've ever seen. So. Yeah, it's not normal. We had big tornado warnings and stuff, and yeah, it was it was pretty bad last night, but it was all good. So, um, you see that uh, Ruby two two supports ended. I saw that. I actually fired up a two two project the other day, and it oh, was really? like it was like uh, SOL, my friend. So. Yeah, did you? Were you picking up an older project or? Uh, yeah, yeah. I had a project I did several years ago. It needed some updates, and now it needs a Ruby update. So I gotcha. That reminds me. I think I had an error come through for an app that I did like six years ago or more, and uh, the client emailed me because he. I'm still six years ago. I really haven't worked on this for six years, and I think my email is still in the error monitoring software because it's a uh, exception notification and um, the only way to remove your address is to deploy that. And it's like a one nine something. And I, I think so. It's like a rails three, two app or whatever. It's old. So yeah, I was like, ah, I, I could just like mute these emails rather than trying to get that code back out and uh, redeploy that. Cause it's been, it's been just so long. I know that the bundle install is going to be awful. <laughs> yeah, there's there's several times I've pulled down projects recently, and I'll like fire it up, and then I'm just so upset with myself for not taking the time to like see the database or things like that when I'm building an older project. Yeah, so. those those are pretty crucial when you're like picking up a project that you haven't touched in two years. Cause inevitably there's something like a gem didn't really follow semantic versioning and it breaks or whatever, but you know, those are yeah having good seeds so that you can get back up and running again. The other one is, um, you know, having a place where you can get your, your like secrets back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that one's kind of a nightmare sometimes. Cause you're like, what Facebook app did I use and whose account was it on? And it's like some of that stuff when it's six years ago, you're like, I don't know if I'll ever find this ever again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it makes you think, cause like when you're building something new, you're just like, go, go, go. And then years later, you're like, man, wish I would have taken the time to think about future self. Yep. And I don't know, we're probably a lot better at it now because six years is a long time to, you know, learn new stuff and better habits. But still, yeah, that's always, it always comes to mind when, you know, a version of Ruby, like, it's weird to me that 2.2 is already end of life because I remember like when 2.0 was such a big deal and everything, like, it just, 
doesn't feel like it's been that long, but you know, March, what did it say? Ruby 2.3 support will end in March 2019. So, what is that? So, 2.2 is what are we on now? Where 2.5 is release. So, 2.5, 2.4 would have been two Christmases ago. Is that right? Uh, Last Christmas would have been 2.5, 2017. 2016 would have been. Two four, yeah. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but it. I guess it is pretty. Long. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing about all this stuff is, like, unless for some reason your code's tied into a specific version, which it is fairly unlikely anymore, um, you're pretty golden. Like, you can upgrade these versions almost no problem anymore, which is great. But the one eight seven to one nine. Was rough, and then you know, one nine to two was also tough. Um, and luckily, we're just like it's a lot more fluid now. That was something that, um, that this is a good example of you know, where your code ends up unnecessarily complex and you didn't plan like it was a simple feature, but you didn't plan on this. Uh, somebody recently, you know, the first customer wanting to run Ruby one nine. Um, on Hatchbox emailed me and I hadn't actually tried it out yet or anything. I'm using RBN for installing it, but um, I think 2.0, I believe, was still including the patch versions in the Ruby version versions. Um, so for those, you can't install, you can't RBN install 193 because you have to specify dash P five, blah, 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 five, five, one, or whatever the patch version was. And it looked like in 2.1, they got rid of that and they just released a new minor version, thankfully, um, because you have no place to really go figure out or easily figure out what those versions are. So I ended up, um, you know, if your RBN uh, or your Ruby version file has 193, I automatically tack on the latest uh, patch version on there because that's what you should be running anyways. Um, if you're, if you're stuck on that version, but yeah, it was like one of those things where like, um, it, so the RBM command has to have one nine three dash P five, five one or whatever. Then um, your gem file dot lock stores after you've run bundle. Now it stores the Ruby version in your gem file lock. And that stores it as 1.9.3 P551, no hyphen in between them. And then, um, you know, then the Ruby version file might have 1.9.3. And so, you know, there was just like all these different variations of it that I needed to make sure worked fluidly. And so I ended up just like, all right, get rid of, at least for this version and for all the new versions, just truncate any patch version on there and then for these old ones just hard code them because there's only three for 187 193 and 2.0 but it was one of those things where you're like man this is easy it should automatically support this and then you find out like oh yeah because they did something weird like a long time ago we now have to add all these conditions in to support those old things and i thought that was a funny example of like you know 
oh, I just want to support an old Ruby. It should be no problem. And then here you are like an hour later, like bashing your head into the wall of like, why can't this just be consistent? <laughs> yeah. What you thought would just work suddenly became like an edge case. Yeah. And it, it goes to show you how important consistency is in version numbers and your code, like all that stuff. And that's, I think a lot of people will, like if you jump into someone else's app um, and you want to add a new feature that's kind of based on an existing one, like a lot of times you'll just copy and paste what they did, even if it's not super great. And then, you know, make your changes to your other version of it. And at least you have the consistency. So then later on, if you refactor them, you can kind of do them together. Um, and so that, you know, ends up, everybody's like, oh, you have to be dry all the time. Well, you know, duplication of code can actually help you re do the refactoring correctly so it is correctly dry, you know, in the long term. So you didn't repeat yourself. Um, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> that was a rabbit hole I went down last last week i think or the week before did you do uh do you work on anything else exciting unexciting um well i also went down in a rabbit hole on um nginx actually got an update which you know this is not super related to ruby but i use passenger quite a bit so um i was excited to learn that um nginx uh, now has dynamic modules where you don't have to recompile Nginx with Passenger included by default, for example. So that makes it a lot easier to maintain your Nginx installs. But I forget what exactly I was doing. Um, and I ended up like getting into the bowels of how all that worked for almost no reason. I think I forget what it was exactly last week, but yeah, I was like, when I I think this was in the same day when I did the Ruby version thing. I was like, you know, I just go down rabbit holes all day today and hopefully not do that the rest of the week. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I didn't do too much. I was at the beach last week. I took some reading material, started reading through or continued reading through programming Elixir, the Dave Thomas book. Uh, in a book called The Little Schemer, uh, which is essentially a book on recursion, really. But um, does the ending of the book start with the beginning of the book? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that'd be cool. Uh, it was. It's really good. When I was in college, I had trouble with recursion, and then when I started working in Ruby, I just never was in a spot where I really like had to use it. I've maybe used it twice in the last yeah, years. I feel like a lot of times you can do something more brute force with a loop and you don't have to use recursion um, in a lot of cases. I forget some of the examples we used in college on recursion because that was definitely like the there's always those moments in class where like the whole class is like, what the hell is he talking about? And then eventually someone's like, oh, I get it. And then everybody else is like, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And then slowly you could watch people like have this epiphany of what a recursion was. That was definitely a funny moment. But yeah, I mean, I don't typically use it all that often. It's, um, it's really useful when it is useful, but yeah, 
a lot of things you don't really need it for. Yeah, it gets used quite a bit in Elixir. A lot of um, there's a whole chapter on it in the book, and I got to it, and I was like doing the examples, and I was like, "How do they come up with this?" And so that's <laughs> when uh, I reached out to the interweb and got pointed to the little schemer, and it's good. It's um, a schema is, I assume, a, a Lisp language. So there's, you know, lots of parentheses, which I, I haven't worked in a Lisp language before, but the book is so good and so introductory that, like, the language gets out of the way and you're really just focused on the recursion part. But... That's cool. Yeah, it's good. It It was really challenging mentally, and that's good, but it's it's also frustrating so yeah well do you feel like you understand recursion better now i do it's going to take more practice mm-hmm. but like it, I, it, go ahead it's one of those things that like once you feel and it's not like riding a bicycle where you remember it really clearly forever because mm. um, you know if you don't use it for a long time like you have to stop and think about, oh, yeah, what do we have to do in this situation and whatever. Um, but there's, yeah, that like subset of problems that you can break them down into smaller problems or whatever that it really works well for. Like Fibonacci, you can do recursively and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the book was, as far as I've gotten so far, is you just define essentially a single function that recurses. Um, But with Elixir, you can combine recursion with pattern matching. Oh yeah, that's right. So that that's where I kept getting tripped up is like, you know, you define some functions that take a list and some functions that just take values and you pattern match against those. And the, the recursion can be different sometimes in what it's calling. And it's really, it's really fascinating. But for me, it was really hard to like shift my mindset there. Mm-hmm. So like, I was like really confident with like little schemer. And so I went back to the Elixir book and then I was like, I found myself still not being able to solve the problems. And then side note, um, I have the PDF copy and for the exercises in the book, there's a link to the pragmatic, bookshelf for programmer forms which has been shut down because of some uh, man law or something like that so like anytime I wanted to try and like learn more about the answer I had to google it and like people have like github repos of them like working through these problems but it was just not only could I not like figure it out on my own which was frustrating I couldn't just easily get help and so, right yeah that's a problem with books that link to websites that aren't permanently up I wonder if they're on web archive, if you could still pull them up or if they, I don't know. That's a good question. But yeah, um, that's, I've been fiddling a little bit with uh, crystal lately and it just brings you back to thinking about languages that have types and similar to pattern matching. Like, um, you know, you, you can have the same method implemented, you know, a bunch of different times with different types as arguments and that effectively is kind of uh, 
you know, a similar version of that, which is really nice and maybe something that I think I saw on Reddit more discussion of the pattern matching proposal in Ruby, which would be really cool. Because um, I always know, like, from the Phoenix examples, I think the controllers that they have, they can pattern match those against things, which is awesome. You know, imagine, for example, a lot of times, if you ever use like the friendly ID gem where you have not an, a database ID, like an integer in the URL, you would have like uh, at JSON or something as a username. Those you could pattern match and you can say, well, you know, if it starts with an at or something or a string as opposed to an integer, um, you could just have, you know, two show actions that do the same thing, but pattern match and, and do the database look up differently, which is awesome. So that I think is really cool to just effectively what's happening there is you're doing a conditional, but you're pulling it into the language instead, which is awesome because then you get a you get rid of conditionals, which is always a good thing. Always, always, always. Yeah. That, that's, that's what fascinates me most about pattern matching is I, when like you start programming, you just conditionals everywhere, and like, <laughs> you know, you spend it, at least for me, like I spent the last few years of my career, like trying to not have conditionals as much as possible, or like start relying heavily on like guard clauses, things like that, and then to see like something baked into a language where it's just like. If it matches this, do this. If it matches this, do this. Like, it's very appealing. So, yeah, it would it would definitely change the way that you would write your Ruby code quite a bit because you would you wouldn't need some of that stuff. Potentially, you wouldn't need guards, you know, in certain cases or whatever. So that would be really interesting. Um, yeah, that would be something that I'd be really curious if uh, I need to read up on the discussion on that because last time i remember for ruby it was like eh, not really interested if, if i remember right and so it's interesting to see that it's back up in discussion at least and or maybe still i don't know but um i'd be curious to see where the arguments for and against it in ruby is to to see sort of the nuances of how it would affect ruby because ruby's already so flexible that um you know, effectively, it's just like a different style uh, right. or an, an approach. And so it's it's going to affect how the language feels, which would be potentially a big change or something. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see more about that. <clears throat> I, have, I have something that I found while I was on vacation that made me so excited. And it's Ruby-related. And it's controversial. Yes. What is it? Okay. So I, in my last job for the last several months, wrote a massive amount of JavaScript. Um, okay. We were doing React, and I mean, I was just cranking out React components. And ES6 is wonderful, and uh, JSX is wonderful. Don't at me. And there's this tool. It's called Prettier. Have you used it? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Prettier is a code formatter, right? It's opinionated, and I have it set up with VS Code where I just hit save and it runs. So like, I can type just without thinking about how I'm formatting it, save it, and then it's uh -huh. consistent, right? So like, if you're working on a team, you can do that. So the last, I don't know, six months, Prettier has opened up an API so other languages can work with it. And so somebody had been, last I checked, somebody had been working on like PHP and Python. So I checked while I was on vacation and somebody has started a Ruby implementation of it. Okay, cool. Uh, it's a work in progress. I'm looking at the repo right now. But I personally would love to have that because I would love to not think about formatting code. Yeah. Well, I think in a lot of cases, um, I mean, you see it all the time in views, especially your ERB is not tabbed over correctly or someone used tabs and not spaces. And I just want to, you know, delete the whole thing and leave. Um, and, and that stuff is like, you know, just stuff you just don't want to deal with, right? Like you just want to have everything always in the same place so you can spend more of your time thinking about how the code should work, not how it's typed out. And I think that's important. Um, I Yeah, it, it, having consistent stuff like that like some people will do two spaces in their private functions or four spaces to move them over. You know, just having something always consistent is important there. And and in one case, the good argument for four spaces is you can tell where the private methods are because there's an abnormal amount of white space. So if you add that or have that in your prettier um, config or whatever, then you don't ever have to think about where private was written in the file to figure out if a method is private or not. You just know because it's tapped over correctly. And that stuff is super duper handy, I think. Um, what makes it controversial though? <laughs> so like formatters. Is it because people prefer different types of, or like formats? Different styles. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I can um, see that. Yeah, and like I, I totally see both sides of the argument. I just as a I'm how do I say this? I'm not one that's gonna raise a fuss if like style is not the most important thing, right? Um, because like at the end of the day, just getting the code out is the most important. Um, but for me, like if a tool exists that takes care of that, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if you can get right on the team to agree with it, I think it's cool. So Yeah, and it's like okay team maybe doesn't want it the default way and maybe wants to change something then as long as it's like relatively easy to configure that like maybe you don't want the four space private functions i don't care um you know you can if you can configure that and just say your team's like all right use vs code or use anything as long as you use prettier right uh, then great that's cool yeah and like it's you know if you don't want to enforce a style, then that's totally cool too. Um, but I just, I, I had such a good experience with it in JavaScript and I've wanted something for Ruby so long, but the problem with Ruby is how dynamic it is mm -hmm. in terms of like making a formatter like that. And 
Ruby yeah. so expressive. So I think that's a concern too. And I think that's a valid concern is that people might express code different ways and a formatter like that might restructure that expression. Yeah, that's true. Um, although I feel like, you know, it's not going to go as far as changing like an unless not variable to if present, you know, it's not going to change the code itself. Um, Cause those are the, to me, those are the style things that are most important. Um, you know, if you're using double negatives in your conditionals, like get rid of them, do the positive version. You know, if you're, if you're checking, if it's not blank, check if it's present instead, it's much more readable that way. Um, Cause then in your head, you have to say if it's not blank, so the opposite of blank and you just spend like a cycle of your brain deciphering that um, versus if this is present, we do this. And those are the, sort of the style things that I think are more important to follow than, you know, what, how many spaces you have or, you know, how line character lengths or whatever. I'm not too worried about some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And like, like I said, like it's not my hill to die on. Um, but I think, I think it's cool that it exists and I'd mm -hmm. like to try it when it's a little more stable. The other thing that might be a turnoff to Ruby developers is that, I mean, prettier is a, node package. So um, <laughs> you have to run this package, you know, to format your Ruby code where there's, there's a couple attempts at like Ruby formatters that are written in Ruby, but I don't know. It's, I'm going to keep an eye on it and I'm excited about it, but I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, it's cool. I think uh, at the end of the day, you just want your code to be able to be easily jumped into by anybody. I think that's, you know, the intent with all these things and it, there's always rough edges around them, but as long as your code, you can pick up a year from now because you haven't needed it, touch that feature for a year. If you can still jump into that and not have to try and decipher it, if it's just, you know, formatted well, that's great. I think that's the important piece at the end of the day. <clears throat> yeah, and I know like Elixir has a built-in formatter now, and oh. in my in my vacuum of Twitter, uh, some people seem to really like it. Seem to be some people that are like, I like most of it. So, <laughs> but you know, at the same time too, it's not required. It's just a thing you can run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I don't really use any myself in Ruby or JavaScript at the moment, but I do have one that saves. If there's any tabs or extra spaces, it strips those out when I save the file. That one's my, that like, it's my small version of this. It's like, I can't stand people that have tabs in their files or the worst is like a bunch of extra spaces at the end of a line after your code, like why? Why is that there? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it just creeps in. Yeah, I have that setting turned on in VS Code. I also have uh, force new line at the end of the file. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I think 
mine does that too. Um, it's just whatever Janus is configured with by default is all I really use, I think. Um, how do you like in VS Code though? I like it. It's, it's um, gaining massive popularity. Yeah, I switched to it, I don't know, probably over a year ago. I was using Sublime pretty regularly. And I didn't really have any complaints with Sublime, um, but I don't know. VS Code's been good. It's got fantastic support out of the box for JavaScript. That's good. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of lot of extensions for it. You know, and extensions are built in. Um, I don't know if they are now in Sublime, but when I was using Sublime, you had to install a package manager, um, and then you could install extensions. Uh, and then it's got like an integrated terminal, which is nice. So, you know, it. I don't know, at the end of the day, it's an editor, but um, for me, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm still stuck in my Vim ways. I don't know that that'll ever leave. Really, it's just I have such respect for people that use Vim because I want to so bad. <laughs> my my experience was to use Janus because it was similar enough to Sublime with keyboard shortcuts and stuff. So all I had to do was figure out the bare minimum of uh, shortcuts to do what I did in Sublime, which wasn't a whole lot. And so that was a slow two weeks to get up and running fast enough. But you know I learned the absolute bare minimum to do Basically, whenever I wanted to d just delete a whole line, I'd go learn that command. And then whenever I'm like doing something, um, as long as I, at the beginning, all I learned was how to get in and out of insert mode, and that was about it. And then at some point, I was like, I want to delete these five lines. And I know that, you know, in my editor, otherwise, I would highlight them with the mouse and then hit backspace. And so then it was like, okay, time to learn visual mode and then highlight these lines and hit D to delete them. And so I'd learn it as I went and it worked out pretty well that way, but it was a painful first couple weeks, I think. Um, but since then I haven't really gone back and really, I think the thing for me is like the editors tend to be slower than Vim. And then I do a lot of like server stuff. So when I'm SSH'd in Vim is more or less the same. Um, so it's nice to just be able to have the exact same editor locally as on my server. So that I found really, really handy. And it's probably one of the more big reasons why I switched originally. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's whatever. I, I just watch everybody um, switching editors every year, six months, you know, and then the Vim and Emacs users are like, nope, we're we're still good. We're still using this. <laughs> yeah, I always get about a week in, and then just like give up. Yeah. Maybe maybe I need to go two weeks. Maybe I don't know. It's uh, it just takes time, and it's and, and you just have to have that commitment. Like that was pretty much. I was like, all right, if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to learn it, and that's it. And I don't know. That mentality helped, but. Yeah, if you're if you're not super serious about it, it can be a real pain. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I'm going to have to cut out early today. Cool. Sounds good. Well, 
we will be back next week, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be on vacation for two weeks in July. So um, we probably, unless you uh, want to, you know, solely host a conversation with yourself, um, you could sign into Hangouts like twice <laughs> or something and then just have like this infinite echo going on. It could be cool. Yeah, We'll see. I may, maybe I can find somebody that wants to come on and hang out while you're gone. Yeah, that'd be great. We should definitely get some guests on here too. If I uh, talk to people about their experience and stuff. Are you coming to Southeast Ruby? Am yeah, and uh, Andrew's going to be there too, and hopefully all the people that came last time will be back. <laughs> yeah, I'm. What's the dates for that? August second and third. All right, so people need to come visit us. Yeah, so I got tickets on sale. They go until until the conference, but uh, right right now, I was hoping for more people. Right now, it looks like we might end up about the same number as last year, unless there's just a big push in July. So, yeah, what's the website for it? Southeastruby.com. Cool. Well, yeah, maybe uh, we'll use the podcast and get another thousand people to show up. <laughs> send you into panic. You're like, we need so much more food now and so many more chairs. <laughs> yeah. I really I really liked the size last year. Yeah. So. I did too. It's when it's what was it, around hundred people? Yeah. That's like it just really feels like you get to meet everybody there. Yeah. So like I'm not I'm not upset if we have the same number of people uh by any means. I just I just in my head I thought there'd be more. But then again, I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> hard to market a conference. It is I, hard, especially when you know nothing about marketing. I mean, unless you get DHH to show up. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that'll be next year, right? Yeah, that'll be that'll be a lot of work. Don't, so. don't, don't give him the keynote. Just he'll <laughs> just be another attendee that's just a surprise, and everybody's <laughs> like, "What?" That'd be great. <laughs> All right, man. We'll have a good week and chat soon. Cool. Sounds good. We'll talk to you guys in the next episode.